Well, it is so nice to see you today. I'm not going to stand. I'm not that short. But it's great to come together today as we continue our series, Living in the Red. And if you've noticed, the past two weeks, we've talked about things that require an element of self-discipline. Two weeks ago, Jesus said, when you give to the needy, and the expectation was that we, the disciples of Christ, would give generously. That's part of our calling as Christians. Then last week, Jesus follows that up and says, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, pray like this. And we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer and looking at just the depth of what we're saying when we say our Father, that He's approachable in heaven, that He is a high and holy God worthy of all our praise, and that He knows what we need even before we ask. And so when we recite the Lord's Prayer, we do so joyfully yet fearfully. And so Jesus continues on this week with talking about something that I suspect is near and dear to many of your hearts, food. Yesterday, I got the privilege of having 16 grown men come over to my house for men's ministry a day away. And so all these men made the trek out to Saikung. They, fear, they braved the wonderful typhoon that we had that we didn't have, and it was actually a sunny day. And we had more food than you knew what to do with. Each of us had at least one one inch thick piece of filet steak that was just succulent and tasty. I know you missed out. You didn't show up. That's your own fault. And then we had these amazing Polish or German sausages that were just tasty. We had fresh vegetables that a few people ate because, you know, you feel like you should put some vegetables in your body and not just meat, even though I don't know why. And then we had these desserts. We had this thing called snowy pudding that was like a bite of summer. And it just tasted good. I don't know what was in it. You'll have to ask the guy that brought it. And we had trifle, which is my favorite, which is just fruit and custard and cream and jam. And yeah, there's nothing healthy in it. And it's just delicious. And it was just great. But not only that, but we enjoyed our time together. And there is a place for just gorging yourselves on great food. And now that I've made you all hungry, I want to talk about fasting. (laughs) Because Jesus turns his attention to another very common practice of Jewish piety. In other words, what happened in, in Bible times, we call them when you're kids, we call them Bible times, in the days of Jesus walking the earth, what would happen is the Jews would practice these things externally. People saw them give of their money. And remember, they would do it with great fanfare. In fact, Jesus was sitting in the temple one day and he watched all these religious leaders go and make sure everybody knew how much they were dumping into their buckets. And by the way, please don't do that with dump a mug. We don't want to know. We just want you to enjoy giving for the sake of missions all over the world. And then there would be other Jews that would get around and they would pray loudly so that everybody else heard them. And the thing is, is Jesus taught that, well, yeah, everybody else heard you, but there's your reward because God's not listening. It wasn't about what they did on the outside. And that's where we find ourselves this morning is Jesus begins to teach on another commonly expected practice. Basically, if you go to church history, they called it giving alms was one of the original church practices, giving, giving to the needy. The second was prayer and the third were fasting. And these were the three 
spiritual disciplines that were expected of everyone and that you would just do if you were a holy, righteous person. But in the olden days, you did it so that everybody saw you do it. And that's the context with which Jesus introduces us to fasting. So I'd like to read the scriptures and then we'll work our way through what he teaches us. He says, notice again, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. In other words, they want everybody to know how hard it is for them to miss a meal or to miss a few meals. And we'll talk about length and duration later. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. In other words, just like we talked about last week with prayer and the week before that with giving, if you do it so that everybody sees what you've done, that's your reward. You could feel great. You could feel patted on the back because other people were proud and said, good job, but that's as far as it's going to go. That's your reward. Jesus continues. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, just like he said the past two weeks, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Lord, this morning, as we look at this idea of fasting and the idea of spiritual disciplines in our lives, I pray that we'll understand the heart behind this. I pray that you would teach me, you know, it's an area I struggle with. And so I ask that we would grow together as your family. In your name I pray, amen. Well, when I talk about fasting, I want to tell you a story of what most of us think of when we hear people refer to fasting. Uh, a, A man tells a story, he says, my own serious consideration of fasting as a spiritual discipline began as a result of visiting someone most of us have likely heard of if we're aware of the church in Asia, Dr. Jun Gan Kim in Seoul, Korea pastor of the largest church in the world. Uh, Is it true, I asked him, that you spent 40 days in fasting prior to the evangelism crusade in 1980? Yes, he responded, it is true. Dr. Kim was chairman of the crusade, expecting to bring a million people to, and I apologize if I mispronounce this, Yoido Plaza. But six months before the meeting, the police informed him that they were revoking their license and permission for the crusade. Korea at that time was in political turmoil and Seoul was under martial law. The officers decided they could not take the risk of having so many people together in one place. So Dr. Kim and some associates went to a prayer prayer mountain and there spent 40 days before God in prayer and fasting for the crusade. Does that sound familiar? Sound like anybody else we've heard of in the Bible? We'll come to that as well. Then they returned and made their way to the police station. Oh, said the officer when he saw Dr. Kim, we've changed our mind and you can have your meeting. As I went back to the hotel, I reflected that I'd never fasted like that. Perhaps I never desired a work of God with the same intensity. His body is marked by many 40-day fasts during his long spiritual leadership of God's work in Asia. Also, however, Carl Lenquist says, I haven't seen the miracles that Dr. Kim has. Most of us, when we hear of fasting, think automatically, well, the pastor's going to get me up here to say we should fast for 40 days. And you know what? We should, probably, definitely. Our bodies can handle it. It's actually proven to be quite healthy. But most of us go straight to that end goal and forget maybe there's a way to get there. 
And there's a heart behind fasting that we need to learn. Because if I tell you all today to go home and don't eat again until the end of August, a few things are going to happen. One, I don't think you're going to be very prepared for the fast. Two, about two weeks in, you'll notice you smell really bad. That's part of fasting. Three, you might not be spiritually prepared for what fasting entails because you're doing it out of obligation. And that wasn't the point. These men that went up on the prayer mountain in Korea and sought the Lord, they sought His will. They felt God was directing them in a certain direction. And they said, God, help us provide. You are our food and our fruit and we need you. And that's ultimately what fasting is about. And that's what Jesus was teaching. There's a dependency factor when we fast. And so when we start here, we look. Jesus says, when you fast. Now, up to this point, the idea of fasting was unique because in the Old Testament, fasting was only done for a couple of reasons. One, for repentance. Two, to beg God to deliver you. Those were the reasons for fasting. There was only one commanded fast in the Old Testament, and that was for the Day of Atonement. When your sins were confessed before the Lord, when repentance happened and you sacrificed before God, you were to fast. That was the only time in the Old Testament that a fast was commanded. In fact, often we read, if you look at Malachi, if you look at Isaiah, the people are condemned for their fasting because just like Jesus does with those watching around, they're fasting for all the wrong reasons. They're fasting out of using God as a credit card machine. Give me more, God. I want this, so I'm going to fast because then you'll listen to me. I'm going to be more holy and then you'll do what I want you to do. (laughs) And we've kind of 2,000, 3,000 years later, we've taken that approach to fasting today. And so what happens is sometimes, and there's a place for it, But sometimes when we know we really want something, we encourage everybody to fast and pray for the specific thing, asking and telling God what we want to happen. That wasn't what Dr. Kim and his team did. They went up to the hill and sought the Lord and said, God, help. But sometimes we get this idea in our head of, I want this, and we tell God what to do. There's a difference. Fasting is also about this idea of listening. So when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. In other words, they want to make sure everybody knows, I'm a hungry man, but I love God, and so it's worth it. But it's all external. It'd be like somebody that we received an award for humility, which defeats the purpose of a humility, and they wear their banner around proudly. Look at me, I'm the most humble person in the world. Right? That kind of defeats the purpose, does it not? And so that's what they, they were doing now. But Jesus reminds us, I tell you the truth, they reward, receive the reward in full. And then he reminds us that your fasting is to draw you to the Father fasting, just as giving generously and just as prayer, fasting is relational. Fasting draws us in to the presence of God. It eliminates the distractions. If, and we'll talk here in a moment about what fasting can do as we go through the process. But Jesus is saying, don't let everybody else know. 
Put on your nice clothes. Put on your normal stuff. Don't wear your scrubs and walk around like, oh, I'm miserable because I'm fasting and it's horrible. No, there's a joy in entering into this practice of being connected with God by remembering every time that you feel a hunger pain. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to pause and I'm going to be reminded of his presence with me right now. And that's ultimately why it's great to fast. Medically speaking, most of us in this room in Hong Kong could do with missing a lot of meals. You'll get hungry because we've taught our bodies that we need more food than we actually need. If most of us tried to live by that, is it 1,800 calories a day or 1,500 or whatever it is? To, to 2,200. There we go. Thanks. So if we tried to live on that 2,200 calories a day, McDonald's would go bankrupt. And so would most of our tata tangs because they are not healthy establishments. So we're not counting calories. We're eating because we want to make our tummies feel better, right? And if you question what that looks like, go to my homeland and you can see lots of people that have enjoyed lots of food. We could live without a few meals. Is that a good reason to fast weight loss? No, it can be helpful. And if you want to diet, go for it. Great. But don't call dieting fasting. I've heard that in the church before. Well, I can't wait to fast because I'm going to lose weight. Well, you see what's happened when we've done that is we've turned the attention back to us. And it's a simple thing. Now, yes, you will lose weight if you go on these long fasts. But that's not, again, at the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, when you fast... Do you trust your God enough to provide for you, to sustain you, and to draw you close to him? Remember that psalm I read this morning? I waited patiently for the Lord and he, I I learned it out of the NASB, so he inclined to me and heard my cry. He leaned down. When we fast, we look up. When we remember we're hungry, we think, thank you, Lord, that you are my provider, that you are my daily bread. You know, the Lord's prayer that he just taught right before this, give us this day our daily bread. It's Christ. He can sustain us and he can provide so much fulfillment in a fast that while at first it can be difficult, over time it becomes this wonderful relationship of sitting down with someone and being in their presence What do I mean by that? What am I getting at when I talk about fasting? Mike, this sounds so antiquated. Yes, I should fast because I'm not at the weight I want to be or this, but what's the benefit of skipping a meal? Well, if you think about it, fasting is relational, right? That's what we've said so far. Then we know there's an internal and external component. There should be joy on our faces as we fast. In other words, people should see that we are just thrilled to be alive. Internally, We're setting apart ourselves, consecrating that time that was meant to be used for food or whatever we're fasting from. And we're saying, Lord, this is your time. I'm going to spend it with you. Yesterday, during our discussion with our men's ministry, I asked the men, how do you develop a deep friendship? Because men are known to, you know, not necessarily talk about our feelings, nor do we tend necessarily, stereotypically speaking, to be real transparent about life. Now, some of that is we just don't feel things in the same way our better halves feel. 
and so we don't understand the need, but also because we can get so caught up in all the other demands of the day that we don't take time to build relationships one with another because there's always another task to do. And I wanted to figure out a way if I could prove my point before I tried to get us to look at that. So what I did is I walked up into my children's room and I grabbed a big giant blue bag and I brought it down and I said, everybody needs to be in a team and the teams were of three people. And I put it in front of them and this bag was on the floor. My, room, my living room is a big square. And I said, okay, gentlemen, when I open this bag, you're going to take whatever supplies you need and you're going to create something and tell a story with it. Okay, there's going to be a narrative. I opened the bag and there was thousands of Legos. You know what a Lego is? They're awesome. We're not very awake today. Wow, Legos, they're, these one, they're the greatest toy ever made and there's these interlocking pieces that allow you to build anything. But I gave these men a task and they went right at it. And you know what? There were some amazing creations. And the point was, when we're given a task, we as men can gravitate naturally towards succeeding at that task. But then I asked them to tell a story to go with the task and we struggled at that. We struggled at that side of explaining how this can play into things. And then we looked back at the life of David and Jonathan, these two men that were, should have inextricably been linked as enemies. Both were going for the same kingdom. You know, Jonathan was the crown prince of Israel. John, David was the anointed king of Israel later to come. And yet they were best friends. What drew them together was the time they had spent and their joint adoration of their king. And so when I talk to people about fasting, I always start with the question of, do you want to be closer to God? And if I asked, if I walked up and down this aisle and said, you know, Amos, do you want to know God better? Nobody's going to look at the pastor and say no. You're just not going to do that. In fact, nobody's going to say to themselves, no, I don't want to know God better. Because, well, it just feels dirty to say that. But then if I ask the next question, it gets a little wiggly. Because then I ask, well, tell me about your time. How much time do you spend with your Lord? Well, you know, I'm really busy. Well, yeah, that happens. It's Hong Kong. It's a busy place. But, but tell me, you know, when's the last time you opened your Bible? Well, you know, at Christmas. Okay. Well, but, but Mike, when I pray, I just don't feel like God's listening. Okay, well, tell me, do you spend a lot of time with him? Do you really, you know, spend time trying to learn how to connect with him better? Well, you know, I, I come to church. Great, that, that's wonderful. But, but I'm asking, do you, do you spend time with God? Well, I, I help out with children's church when they need me. Great, that's wonderful. We should serve. But do you spend time with the Lord? Well, I, I, I go to BSF or Awana or this or that or the other. I go to stuff. Great, that's wonderful. But do you spend time in this relationship? Well, well and then I'll, I'll usually pause at this point and I'll ask a different question. I'll say, tell me about a really close friend you have. Oh, you, you know, we, it's just so great. Whenever we see each other, it's great to catch up and we'll go out and we'll have a meal together. We'll eat sushi and we'll just laugh and have this wonderful time of enjoying the relationship and getting to know what's going on with their family, their kids, their grandkids and everybody else. And, oh, we could just sit for hours. And I'm like, 
Yeah? Now tell me about your relationship with God. Oh. Or tell me about your relationship with your spouse. And sometimes that's actually worse. So let's leave that one alone. (laughs) But you get the point, don't you? We say we want to know God. But do we act? Do we live as though we want to know God? Jesus gives us three very basic principles called spiritual disciplines that help us enter into a heartfelt relationship with our king. But it takes practice. It takes commitment. And yes, and I know this isn't very popular in church today anymore, it takes sacrifice. Sydney referred to that. One of our core values is sacrificial living. In other words, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. My big finish for our men's ministry yesterday was helping men realize that to be a deep friend, the key there is actually considering others better than yourself, just like God did by giving Jesus his son. And so when we look at the idea of having a relationship with God, some of you come to church because it's the right thing to do. Don't stop coming, please. We want you here, but we don't want you to stay where you are. We want you to enjoy just a vibrant relationship with the Lord that you can't shut up about. And by doing that, that you can't stop bringing people into a place where they might have the opportunity to know Jesus and to become his disciple. That's why we keep teaching multiplication. You know, not just that we want to get bigger numbers. That's actually not a concern of mine. That's the Lord's concern. But I do believe we are called as a church to keep getting bigger because we are called to make disciples of all nations. And that starts with an understanding of how do we personally enjoy a relationship with our Lord and Savior. Jesus teaches you gotta know how to give. And then he says you gotta pray. And now he says when you fast, do it so that you get to the heart of God. Well, Mike, how do I fast? Well, let me explain to you a little bit more of what fasting kind of looks like. And these are just out of a couple of Bible handbooks. But spiritual fasting entails, now usually it referred to food, but that's not the only thing. And I'll give you an example here in a minute. Spiritual fasting entails setting aside activities as well as reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. The New Testament word, which translates fasting, literally means one who is not eaten or one who is empty, okay? That's the broad definition of fasting. That we get, okay? But here, most of us could say, okay, I could skip a meal and I could pray for five minutes. Awesome, great start. What if we did more? Let me give you an example. Many of you have a device in your pocket that is considered to be quite smart, right? Right? a smartphone, if you will. Sometimes I think they're quite dumb. But needless to say, what if I asked you to set that down on your table for one hour, twice a week? How would you do? Some of you would be like, fine, I don't like the phone. I can't even figure it out anyway. But some of you are married to your phones. Okay, and and full disclosure, I would be one of those. I feel very odd when it's not in my pocket like right now. And how would I possibly know what's going on? Or I'm a very important stock trader. Well, it's closed, uh, business is closed everywhere, so you're safe. 
What if you chose one hour a day, just a couple days a week, where you put it away? You know what's going to happen? At first, you're going to be antsy and jumpy. You're going to keep thinking, oh, did it ring? Did I need it? Ah, oh, what if they need something? What if they need something? Let me tell you, I've, I've known doctors that practiced fasting and they have survived. Now, those that are in the emergency department, they can't put their pagers away. Sorry, Stuart. Uh, but that's life and death. For the rest of us, whomever's calling, texting, or Facebooking, you will survive for just a little while. And you don't do that just to teach yourself that you're not dependent upon a phone. We do that to shift our attention back to the Lord. And for some of us, giving up our phone is way harder than giving up food. I can skip food because I got my phone. And we laugh, but it's true. I've seen it. I've seen people go into restaurants and forget to eat because they're on their phones. And then they pay for the food and it's left there. So what if we fasted from that? But why do we do it? To empty ourselves and say, God, I'm yours. God, draw me to yourself. I'll put away the things that I've replaced you with. And I'll come back to you. Maybe it's food, maybe it's fasting, maybe it's television, whatever it is. There are ways that get us to the discipline of knowing God. What else do we learn? Well, one guy tells a story. Uh, Sorry, I, I, I moved on. I lost my place here. Fasting was conceived differently. Okay, So I told you in the Old Testament that fasting was for repentance and for begging God to deliver them. Remember people that fasted in the Old Testament. Moses, and by the way, fasting was often not quite the successful outcome they were looking for. Moses fasted for 40 days, comes down to a golden calf and throws the Ten Commandments and has to go back up and do it again. Uh, David begs for deliverance after his horrid act and he fasts and his son is still killed. His son is still taken from him. In the Old Testament, fasting often didn't go that way that we wanted to. God, save me, fix me, help me. In the New Testament, fasting changes perspective. Remember, Jesus teaches, why should my disciples fast? They're with the groom. Let them enjoy the feast. Let them enjoy all the great food that we have at the wedding table while I'm here. There will be, and even there, he he alludes to fasting. There will be plenty of time for them to fast. But for now, do it. Don't do, don't fast because they're with me. So that in turn means that we can infer that now that he has ascended to heaven and we're waiting upon his return, in the middle we fast because that's what he inferred there. And so here's what it looked like. After Jesus has already forgiven forgiven us our sins, after he's already redeemed us, after he's already finished his work here on earth, we didn't need to fast for forgiveness. We've been assured of forgiveness already through Jesus. So you don't fast in sorrow anymore. Why then do we fast now in this New Testament, this new covenantal time? Well, it's because we desire to set aside those distractions we talked about in order to seek God's clear direction for our lives. In the New Testament, when you read of fasting, they were asking God, I want to go where you want me to go. Make sure I'm in tune with you. Some of you used to listen to this thing called the radio. You ever hear of it? If you weren't in the right spot, the radio didn't come in very well and you could kind of pick up. 
And the same is true of your cell phones, your smartphones. If you're in the wrong spot with bad coverage, it doesn't go so well. Well, what if we considered that in our relationship with the Lord? Sometimes we've allowed interference to get in the way of our coverage. And we're saying, Lord, I want to come back to be receptive to you. I want to be in a position where I can see and remember your clear direction for my life. God won't usually give you a brand new revelation that he's never said before when you fast. He'll just remind you of what his word already taught you that we'd lost track of over time. The whole counsel of scriptures here and in fasting, we can turn to it and say, okay, God, I get you. I'm yours. It was a discipline by which they waited for God and trusted him to guide them when his time was right. Can we do that? I know we don't like to wait. I know we like to eat. I know we like our stuff. But I love God. And for me, fasting is tough. And I've got great reasons why I can't fast. You know, I've got a stomach disorder. Uh, I fasted for quite a few days unintentionally. So that counts, right? No, but if I trust that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, even for someone with the issues that I have, I can still fast. And so I am trying as your pastor to improve that spiritual discipline in my life. It is hard for me, but we'll grow together and hopefully you can tell me stories of how the Lord's taught you through fasting. But I want to look at how we fast, okay? And I want to break it down into three words. And this is how we'll kind of finish for the day. The first word there is fast. When we think of fast, most times we think of just how it came across the screen. Fast, I start talking more quickly. I want to do things quickly. We want to be efficient. Everything in Hong Kong should happen fast. Yet when Jesus speaks of fasting, it's of slowing. It's of eliminating those things that aren't essential. And even some that are for a period of time so that we focus on who is ultimately important. So fast has a different meaning. It moves from being speed, being super quick, to slowing down and taking a posture of listening, to emptying ourselves so that he can come in. And then the next word you see there is spiritual. Today, the word spiritual has been overtaken by anything mystical. Oh, I just had the most spiritual experience, man. I did yoga on the beach and it was great. Well, you know, Spiritual to me means devoted to God. And if I had a spiritual experience, it better be leading me and pointing me back to the Father. That's a spiritual experience. That's why when Moses came down off the mountain, he glowed. I dare you to spend enough time with the Lord to glow because you just can't get enough of him. And so we redefine spiritual back to what it always meant. We fast, we slow down, we devote to God what's already his. And then finally, oh, we don't like this one, discipline. Now, when I talk discipline, I'm a young parent, so I think correction. Telling my kids that they need to do this, that, or the other. Discipline here does have that effect, but that's not the primary concern. The primary aspect, and this is great, is one of order. Discipline ultimately means an ordered life, a life that is structured. Now, in this room, and and I'll try to clarify for half of you, the other half, this will make perfect sense. You like ordered. 
Uh, in this room, we typically have two types of thinkers, generally speaking. We've got our linear thinkers, that everything will kind of go in a straight line. And we've got what my AP history teacher called our spiderweb thinkers, that there's just notes all over the place and they do connect in your mind. But for the spiderweb thinker, uh, that's also called nonlinear, uh, more circular, if you want the fancy term for it. When we think of discipline, it's scary to us. I, actually, I'm quite linear. But when you think of that, it can be scary because it means everything's got to be figured out. And all you can think of is someone with obsessive compulsive disorder. If you look at their closet, their shirts are all color-coded and organized specifically. Their pants are all perfectly pressed. And they really only wear three things because those are the three things they know work perfectly. Right? And so that's the approach we take to ordering our lives and we think our lives have to be rigid and firm. And that's not at all what Jesus is teaching. Jesus taught that if we so order our lives that he is the only priority we have, we'll be set free to be who he made us to be all along. It's interesting, isn't it? That if we look at this concept of spiritual discipline, of ordering our lives around God and his ways, Jesus says that I came that you might have life and have it to the full, that you might be set free. Paul talks so often about freedom in Christ to be who he's called, created, and made us to be. And how do we get to that point? Practice. It takes work. Some of you grew up having to learn a musical instrument. And if you started a musical instrument, let's take the violin, for instance. You did not sound good immediately, did you? It sounded like cats were dying everywhere, correct? <laughs> or let's say you decided to play a woodwind instrument. There are few sounds worse than hearing someone learn a saxophone or a clarinet. That is just a noise that is like fingers on a chalkboard. But it takes practice. And over time people like Yo-Yo Ma enter the world. Now, he plays the cello, but he plays it phenomenally. He didn't start that way. Nor did the Apostle Peter. Nor did Paul. Nor did Hudson Taylor. Nor did Francis Schaeffer. Nor did men we see leading with integrity and passion today. They started by saying, Lord, this is where I am. Take my life and use me. And to do so, Lord, help me clear out all the junk and take time to dedicate to you. Someday you may decide to go on a 40-day fast and I will be your biggest cheerleader and someday I will do it as well. Uh, I confess to you that right now I lack the faith. I'm growing. Uh, and for me, I'm not trying to tell you hypocritically that I've fasted a lot this week, but I'm starting to practice the discipline. You need to know that I'm not just trying to tell you something that I'm not willing to do myself, and it's been great, and it's been a challenge, but it's been cool to see what the Lord's opened up as I've skipped some meals. For me, that was a good one. I also turned off my phone. That was harder. But what if we did this? What if we considered this idea of what Jesus taught us about fasting? When you fast, and we said, okay, God, I'll start there. What if you skipped one meal? Most of you can find some time to skip a meal. 
And what if in that time you said, I'm going to go to someplace quiet and I'm just going to take my Bible and a notebook and I'm going to write down whatever God brings to my mind. Why do I say write it down? And don't use your phone because you'll get distracted, I promise. Put your phones away. Put your laptops, iPads, Galaxy Quests, whatever they are. Put them all away and just write, physically write whatever God lays on your heart. Write your prayers to him. Ask him to teach you and listen and then write what down what you hear. What if we as a church this week said, okay, for the next month, one meal, one day each week, I'll fast. I'm not asking much, people. <laughs> I'm saying one meal a week. If you eat three times a week, that's one out of 21. Some of you eat those six meal a day diets. Great. Your odds are going up. You can skip. But spend that time. Go find someplace quiet. Go back to what Jesus taught on prayer. And say, Lord, I just want to crawl up close to you. Steve Gladen, uh, Mr. Yu posted this last week, and it's from a book that we use in training our small group leaders. But he says this about these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about. He says, tithing isn't about money. It's about obedience. Fasting isn't about being without food. It's about being obedient, which it is. Surrendering something, whether it's money, food, or your time, isn't about what you're sacrificing. That's why Jesus tells the Pharisees they've got it wrong. Don't walk around like you're fasting because you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart. It's a question of obedience. How far will you go to be obedient to God and in so joy, so doing, there will be order out of the chaos of life. I know we like our checklist today, so I'll finish with a checklist. Here we go. We want some order first. Choose a time and a place where you're going to fast. Don't just hope you'll do it at some point because you won't. You know why? Because we'll get distracted. Something will come up, I promise. Another message will come up on your phone that will need your attention. So choose it ahead of time. Identify a fasting time, a thing you're going to fast from, whether it's your phone, your television, uh, your food, whatever. Choose it, write it down, put it in your calendar and protect it. That's the first thing you do if you're going to fast. Second, focus on the Lord. Don't go in, and it's, this is going to be hard. It's not going to come easily. The first time you do it, honestly, you might make 15 minutes, and after that, you're just I can't do it. I, I, I'm just, I don't know what to do. It takes practice to develop these muscles of dependence on the Lord. Don't give up if it's hard at first. It's meant to be hard. It's meant to be sacrificial. But when we feel hunger, when we feel the twitch, where, where's the phone? Lord, thank you that you supply all my needs. Draw me to you right now so that when those pangs come from whatever we're fasting from, focus on the Lord. That's the other reason fasting is so effective is you feel whatever you're sacrificing. You miss it, and that's great because when you feel that missing... It should draw, we should rewire our circuitry back to, oh, I'm supposed to be thinking about the Lord right now. And I'm going to spend time with him. The next thing we do is we pray, we reflect, and we listen. Lord, teach me right now what you have for me. Then reflect, open his word. Go with whatever daily reading plan you're reading and read the Bible and slow down. Read it a few times whatever passage you're in, and write down what sticks out to you. And then ask God, God, have I heard what you want me to hear from this? 
and then sit back and be quiet. And this is the really hard one. Uh, I've told you before that for me, uh, uh, fast from, or it's called solitude, the discipline of solitude needs to happen in my life where I get away. And I go out to Bethany House on Chung Chow Island. And it takes me two full days before I feel I'm able to listen well because I'm so scatterbrained in my mind. I'm just, it takes me a while to slow down and say, here I am, Lord, teach me. Now, it doesn't mean I don't learn anything in those first bits of time, but it takes time. Don't cut it short. Even if for five minutes you just be quiet and you say, Lord, I'm listening. You go back to Elijah Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And you might just have to keep reciting that so that no other thoughts come into your mind. Uh, That's what Brother Lawrence taught us to do. Uh, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And so you just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And we focus, we pray, we reflect, and we listen to him. And then you enjoy his presence. It may not come the first time. This is hard. This does take discipline. That's what it's called. But as it happens, and as you get into the habit of fasting, of practicing the spiritual disciplines, you long for them. You get excited about that time. You want to do it longer. So I've challenged you to skip one out of 21 meals. Oh, that was great. I want that time with the Lord. Maybe I'll skip 24 hours next time. Do it. I dare you. Because it just gets better. Yeah, the hunger pings grow. And that's part of the biological process. But as they grow, you depend more on the Lord. And there's some side benefits right here on earth. You lose some weight. You get a little healthier. You detox. All those Cokes, coffees we drink, yeah, they go through our system. But much more than that, we learn to train our minds and our hearts to be focused on the will of God. Because while we often say it to be true, we don't often live it to be true, that nothing else matters but the glory of God. You want to glorify Him? Discipline your life in such a way that He gets your attention. Fasting is one such way to do that. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that Jesus taught us to fast by fasting for 40 days. Help us to learn from His example and help us to do so joyfully. May our lives be ordered around You. Amen.